Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing okay, thank you very much. I have a short break ahead of me, so I actually might get some time to do some editing of podcasts. Ah. Hurrah! Who, who, who <laughs> wants to spend their time doing that? When the, when the, when I the, know. As we, approach, as we approach April tide and the sun is out and the world is lovely... And all that kind of thing. And we're thinking about the possibility of escaping from our miserable and drab lives and perhaps going to somewhere <laughs> like... Where you might be. Like Italy, say. Portofino, maybe. Yes. Portofino, yes. So Portofino. What, are we, what are we talking about today, then? We're talking about Enchanted April. Enchanted April. Which... See, I, I, was, I, was, I was worried, because I thought <laughs> some idiot lent me this uh, DVD. <laughs> And yeah. I thought it was called The Enchanted. I thought we were going to struggle here. Although, obviously, we can lose A and the at the beginning of titles. But uh, yeah. this one, it turns out, legitimately, is called <laughs> Enchanted April. So, it's perfectly reasonable to shove it in the letter E. Yeah, but on the topic of legitimacy, there may be some people who are sitting there thinking, Aha! But this is a film. A film? Well, the, it is a film. And it was released in 1991, mm. but I don't think many people went to see it. It was a bit art housey and a bit BBC. It was a BBC film, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it was on TV with a big splash in '92 as a kind of TV film as part of Screen Two. It's that BBC uh, Films era, isn't it? And BBC yes. Films were actually quite large contributors to drama <laughs> on telly generally. So I, I don't feel it's that big a leap, you know. No, I mean there's loads of programs we've been we we've ignored beginning with E. To be fair, but gosh, you, know, you sound oh, a bit bitter about that. Oh, bitter, bitter, <laughs> twisted, twisted. But nevertheless, we 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 got this to 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 go through, and you know it it's an it's a letter E. It is uh, a yeah. it, <laughs> it's another it's another adaptation of a novel. <laughs> It is by Elizabeth von Arnim. I went through an Elizabeth von Arnim phase. I need to share. Did you? I really? read. The, I read the novel Elizabeth and Her German Garden. I read this. I read Love, and ah. the style was very direct. Right. Um, really clear, not befuddled p- prose. Just really mm. sort of direct and easy to read, and very much in the style of E.M. Forster, who I also love. So okay. I'm afraid this is very much my choice. So who, um, who is Elizabeth von Arnhem? So she was an English novelist born mm. in Australia and she married a German aristocrat right. Countess, and she became the Countess von Arnhem Schlager the Gensin. Gosh. Right. Um, she had a three-year affair with the writer H.G. Wells, which is notable. 
Um, and then later married the elder brother of Bertrand Russell. Okay. So, um, yeah, She's gone about a bit, but only she with did the great about. and the good. She didn't get a, a, about a bit with the oi polloi. The people you've heard of, she got about with. <laughs> that, that, feel, that feels like, oh, I don't know, a character in one of her books, perhaps. Yeah. So the, the aforementioned Elizabeth and her German garden, she wrote in 1898. Mm. Um, but this one is 1922. So mm. she's really in her stride by this point. Her the most famous novel is Vera, which was okay. about her disastrous mar- marriage to, to uh, Earl Russell. Oh, not about crime solving in Northumberland. No, no, <laughs> no. So this is described on Wikipedia as the lightest and most ebullient of her novels. Uh, Gosh. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, yes. So there we are. Mm. I think really she became popular in the 80s and 90s because Virago published all of her work again and it hadn't right. been available for, 20, for you know, 60 so years. How many books did she write then? Lots. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to get a full list? Was, was she like the Milton <laughs> Boone of her time? Oh, did she write no. one a week? I'm sorry, I can't believe you just said Mills and Boone, rude. She's, she wrote about 20, 20 novels, I think, about 20. I've got a question for you. Do you oh, know... Okay. This was directed by Mike Newell. Do you Mike. know what else we've done in A to Z, which was directed by Mike Newell? Oh, probably not off the top of my head. I was Go surprised was when I found out. Ready when you are, Mr McGill. Mr McGill, of course he did, yes. I thought the yeah. name rang a bell. yes. There was a, there was a thing on 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 Tinternet a few days ago about extremes of movie making, and I think someone pointed out that the guy who directed uh, Get Carter also directed Flash Gordon's. <laughs> well, exactly, and this is similar because he also did Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which is ah. very different to this. So, um, yes. Anyway, do you want to read from the back of your DVD? Well, yes, sis, I've, got, I've got I've got this here DVD now. I'm not <laughs> sure how, how widely available uh, the DVD of. <laughs> Of Enchanted April is, but anyway, there's some guff written on the back of it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who these people are who write these things. But anyway, a a discreet, a discreet advertisement or advertisement, if you prefer, in the Times, addressed to those who appreciate wisteria and sunshine, is the prelude to a revelatory month for four very different women. High above a bay on the Italian Riviera stands San Salvatore, a, me- a, me- a medieval castle, beckoned, yes, beckoned to this, beckoned, beckoned to this haven are Mrs. Lottie Wilkins, Josie Lawrence, Mrs. Rose Arbuthnot, Miranda Richardson, Mrs. Fisher, Joan Plowright, and Lady Caroline Dester, Polly Walker, each quietly craving, craving. A respite. Lulled by the Mediterranean spring, the violet mountains and sweet-scented flowers, they gradually shed their public... <laughs> I have to be very careful how I read that word. Public yeah, skins. Do. And discover a harmony each of them has longed for, but none has known. So, Gosh! Was that on the back of the book, do you think? No, I think I made that up. Because <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> I liked it so much, I think I made it up. So, yeah, before Enchanted April was available as a DVD, I made that DVD, which I sent to you, and I've actually got the official one. And honest, honestly, the back cover for this is crap. This delightful <laughs> and witty adaptation of Elizabeth von Arnhem's novel has this superb cast and a location that creates a magic of its own. In grey, rainy 1920s England, Lottie and Rose, tired of their overbearing husbands, decide to rent a villa for a month in Portofino, Italy. 
to share the cost, they are joined by two other very different women, Lady Caroline, a beautiful but bored socialite, and crusty old Mrs Fisher, who has an impeccable literary pedigree. They all want to escape from trapped lives and in this paradise in ways they never imagined possible. That is what they all do. Actually, it's not too bad. I think mine's a bit more lyrical. I was obviously feeling myself when I wrote that. <laughs> is this one of those... or, or it is from the back cover of the Virago and I can't be bothered were you, to check. Were you, were you going through your tortured poet phase? Were you sort of... Lying? I think I really was. Were you all because... beards leaing all over the yes, on couches? because... It's about the same time that I fell in love with the film Howard's End, and I just—it's right. all I could think about. And I w- oh, went to the cinema four times to see it. Repressed, love it. Re- repressed butlers. Mm. No, no, no. There's no butlers in Howard's End. Is that oh, is that the g- one? Yeah, that remains of the day. So well, anyway, I, I, used, I used to get scorned at work. I used to get scorned at work, and everyone. I think we've even covered those films. You're going to see them. I think we've already covered this. I think we've already had this story. Yes. We've had this story on the podcast before, Martin. I hate I'm sure to repeat. We have, but nevertheless, <laughs> I used to get uh, repressed butlers is one of those expressions that fling, gets flung at me, although there aren't any in this. So that's fair enough. Once again, there are no repressed butlers in this. I no. feel you're reaching. So anyway, so I feel slightly guilty for thrusting Enchanted <laughs> April upon you because it's definitely one of my choices. Well, it was um, I'm desperate to know, what did you think of this? Oh, right. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> well, what? Uh, I watched it about three weeks ago. Oh wow! And okay. I sort of I, I sat it in the afternoon and I put it on and sort of watched it and oh, I thought to myself, well, this is just again, it's one of those those, those books that the BBC feel they've got to adapt. It's kind of, <laughs> one of those. Oh god, here we go, nineteen twenties. And at the end of it, I I I you know. I let the machine spit out the disc, and so I thought, well, well, that was a load of inconsequential guff, wasn't it? And, you know, thought, okay, I'm going to have to think of something to talk about. But I'd not written any notes at that time. I'd just watched it, and it hadn't really gone where I expected it to go, but fair enough. So, um, yeah, I wasn't, you know, I, was, I thought, you yeah, know, it was all right, past an hour and a half. Uh, but then I watched it again uh, to take some notes, and I actually quite enjoyed. It. I enjoyed it more second time through. Yeah, uh, it made more sense, and I think what it was is because I literally knew nothing about it. Yeah, and I probably went into it with a load of preconceptions about what I thought it was going to do, and all these people were going to be sort of running around in corsets in crisis, and generally, you know, letting it all hang out or whatever they do, and it didn't go. It didn't actually hit those beats as you go along with it. So at the end of it, I just thought, no, I didn't. It didn't feel as if much happened, but uh, you know, whatever. It it sort of just felt like one of those things that used to pop up on the BBC, and you'd watch and go, hmm, fair enough, and then move on to the next thing. Second time through, I thought it was wonderful. Gorgeous. Oh, I'm glad to hear you thought it was wonderful. What I love about it is exactly what you said. It doesn't hit the beats um, mm. that you expect. And just even watching it again, even though I know it really well, and I've probably mm. watched it about 10 times over the years, um, I think the fact that you expect, so basically for the people who are listening who've never seen it, um, they get this getaway to Portofino, to this gorgeous castle, and they arrive and they've got this respite from their drab lives, although they're actually wealthier than I think we, we, we <laughs> it's kind of suggested, because they are living in Hampstead and they mm. are members of a women's club and all this stuff. But anyway, yes, they're doing lots of good for other people, but not for themselves. And 
by the time they get there, it's just such a transformation and they've never been happier in their lives. But mm. then immediately it feels like Josie Lawrence's character, Lottie, is going to spoil it by inviting her dreadful husband, Mellish, mm. played by Alfred Molina. And she encourages, um, what was the other character's name? Rose to mm. invite her husband, played by Jim Broadbent, who's forever parping his way through life. And you think it's all in that sense, (laughs) (laughs) and you you just think it's going to just be a terrible disaster, and either it's going to go into farce, Mm. or it's just going to destroy it. But no, this place is truly magical, and and it's and I think they they call it rather rather tweely a a tub of love at some point. But Mm. the point is that it doesn't go the way you expect, even though even though Jim Broadbent's character has had a, a little fling with Lady Caroline, who mm. doesn't even realise is there. And you think, oh, God, this is going to be one of those stupid... The oh, he doesn't know of this doors and she doesn't know that. Yes, yeah, but yeah, it never in, happens. In, hidden in wardrobes and trousers off. Yes, it's, it's gonna there's be a none of that no. crap. And mm. there's no arguments. Um, and it's just so unexpectedly um, mm. mellow. Mm. And it it may not be very realistic in that sense mm. um, but it's it's a gorgeous little respite and escape from reality in a way that suggests that if we embrace love then we can have a jolly good time <laughs> you mustn't sigh in heaven this is heaven isn't it Rose yes I was just thinking Mrs. Fisher doesn't seem to be very happy. We should try and help her. Oh, no. We mustn't try to be or do anything in this place. Oh, don't worry. She'll be happy very soon. Now, I, it's interesting because first time through, I I definitely thought I preferred all the London scenes to all the mm. stuff in Italy. I, I, oh. I felt the, the London scenes worked and the Italian scenes. Uh, and this came up in a conversation I was having about... Um, Weirdly enough, uh, and uh, let me go on this segue, Last of the Summer Wine. So the thing about Last of the Summer Wine is if you watch the first mm, 20, well, 15, 20 years, it's Bloody all hell. shot. <laughs> That's an investment. <laughs> it's all it's all shot on uh, 60 mil film or videotape. Right. Uh, but Alan J.W. Bell was one of these people who embraced new new technology and all this kind of thing. And so it's one of the first sitcoms to go into full widescreen high definition cameras and all that kind of thing and yeah. and later last of some wine whilst the actual storylines are a bit mm, not necessarily the most interesting looks beautiful right and i think we get very spoiled by these high definition images because the actual images of italy in this film they look a bit drab and smeary to me you know it, it looks a bit it's it's film stock and we've been spoilt by high definition and, and beautiful yeah. wide vistas. So actually, the transformation to how wonderful Italy is watching it now, I think is is less impressive. So strange enough, if it was made if it was made again now, it would actually benefit from that sudden opening up. You almost feel like you should you should do the opening sequences in in four by three and then suddenly have it move into widescreen. No, exactly. The, but, but I think things. I think it maybe just needs remastering because it is seriously, you know, some budget mm. on this film. I think it just needs remastering. And this, this mm. DVD was not remastered. And my mm. my one for you was recorded off the TV, I think. So mm. that wasn't going to be the best. Mm. But um, I think in that way, 
it kind of is like the the movie The Wizard of Oz mm. because you've kind of got that moment when Ju- um, Judy Garland, what's she called, Dorothy, mm. when she when she wakes up in in um, oh god, what's it called? In Oz, Oz. Jesus. <laughs> The wizard, the wizard of Barnsley. Yeah, <laughs> Barnsley. When she wakes up in Barnsley, Barnsley. and she's like, "Hey, it's quite nice here." She's quite um, colourful. Like, well, black quite and white, don't know. Yeah. Well, there's yes. lots of short people. Um, <laughs> anyway, when she wakes up there, it's all it's all glorious technicolour. It's kind of like similar sort of way into the film with oh. this. Um, well, the first she, part, when, the London when, stuff is all interiors and darkness, isn't it? And then, and, and what I was going to yeah. say is, mm. you could almost have that in sepia, like in the Wizard yes. of Oz. And then go to the colour of Portofino in Italy. but the, And obviously the turning point is when she opens those windows. Mm. And it's just like, oh. Um, Marisa and I watched it last night and it was just that moment like, oh, God, we want to be there. Honestly, so badly <laughs> when, that, when she opens the windows. But yes, I know what you mean. I think the film is a bit grainy and I think it's just it just needs remastering and it's not mm. been loved enough. Mm, possibly. Yes. Although it's a bit obscure, isn't it, as a, as a thing? So, you know, what, this film is obscure? This TV yeah. film is obscure. Yeah. It is probably. Yes. I mean, like I say, I mean, I'd never heard of it. <gasps> before Gosh. we did this. So, you know. Yes. So, um, it got awards. It got awards, this did. Mm. Um, Joan Plowright, I think, got Best Supporting Actress, at least an Oscar nomination, if not winning it. I think it was a nomination. Yes. Um, no, no, Golden Globes and stuff. But according to this, yes, she got the award. In fact, it got three. Uh, it got best costume design, which kind of weirds me out, and um, and best adapted screenplay. So, you know. yeah, and a Golden Glob, a Golden Glob for a musical yes. or comedy. Yes, <laughs> so it's a comedy. I hadn't realised it was a comedy. There we go. Oh, honestly, there's some some lines that I wrote down that yes, it absolutely is a comedy. Com- My favourite line in the whole thing is. When Josie Lawrence's character says to um, Mrs. Fisher um, that she thought she saw Keats the other day across the road. Did you know Keats? Keats? No, I didn't. And I didn't know Shakespeare or Chaucer either. Oh, no, no, uh, uh, of course not. It, it, it's just that, um, well, it's just that they're immortal, aren't they? And, and I've always thought of immortals as being, um, well, I- immortal. Not, not having died, I mean, they're alive, but they're dead uh, and alive. It's, it, it's odd. Very odd. I thought I saw Keats the other day in, in Hampstead, uh, crossing the road to his house, you know, the house where he lived. It was about tea time. Well, Mrs Fisher, time we were going. I really did see him. He was dressed in... I hope you're not in the habit of seeing dead people, however distinguished. It's not in the best of taste. I'm sure the last thing I would want to see is my late husband, Mr. Fisher, crossing the road in front of my house. I like that. <laughs> um, no, there are some, I mean, there are some nice lines in it, to be fair. Uh, and the other one was, in my day, husbands and beds were never spoken of in the same breath. <laughs> yes. I mean, as a character, that, that is kind of interesting. Sorry, these were all nominations, they weren't wins, but... Um, ah, right. ...mentioned yeah. earlier, but uh, they were yes. nominations. So, do we want to go through it in a bit of an order? I might. So I mean, it's only one page of notes for once. <laughs> Not okay. like we're having. Edwig, we've talked for forty minutes, and oh, episode two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And how many episodes are in the series? Twenty-seven. Oh, right, we might be a while. Yes. No. <laughs> it's okay to have a shorter, shorter episode. Yeah. Um. So in the start, we've already said about how the London stuff is well filmed, and it does feel. There's a little bit grab. of stock footage, isn't there? Tiny bit of stock footage. <laughs> 
sorry. Which oh, <laughs> and basically there's the London fog. <laughs> yes, the misery and of London in, in winter, which everyone's coughing, and I mean, there's this actual train full of coughing, miserable. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, which uh, Andy has just <laughs> masterfully yeah. demonstrated. I was just acting, <laughs> just acting, darling. <laughs> yes. So well, I'm assuming this because it must be midwinter in London, wasn't it? I mean, it's, hmm. um, and and these and these, these two two ladies, two ladies who do good works for for um, servicemen coming back from the First World War, presumably. Yeah, they do stuff uh, and. Lottie Wilkins, played by Josie Lawrence, and Rosabeth Knott, played by Miranda Richardson. And they don't know each other very well. But Lottie... Well, the first conversation they have is where she pounces on her and goes... <laughs> to be, it says, we've never spoken before, but it's like, swallow! <laughs> Here, come on holiday with me! It's like I know! And you kind of flirty. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, to be fair, I was expecting this to go in a very lady-on-lady -lady action kind of way. Were you? I was, I was, I was, I was like, literally the, watching this film. I was expecting there would be a lot, a lot of sudden boobage because it's a British film. Sudden boobage. Uh, there'll be a lot of nudity, and there would be there'll be a lot of basically girl on girl action because that was kind of the the, the set of it. What it felt like. So I say when it <laughs> didn't go in those directions, maybe that's why I was disappointed. Oh, how funny! But, Dirty old man. Anyway, it did, anyway it didn't, so that didn't yes, Sorry, no, absolutely not, and I'm horrified that you could even think of it. But um, Lottie, well, yes, well Lottie, pe Lottie pounces on Rose, and it's just I love how Lottie's character is just completely, immediately enraptured by this advert for for those to those who love Wisteria Sunshine, and she just she just knows that this is going to happen, that it must be hers, that she sees Rose there, and everything she keeps seeing keeps happening in a sort of, well, an enchanted way. Huh. But um, it's it's lovely to watch, and I just love how desperate she is. But it is it is a bit bonkers. <laughs> if you wish for something hard enough, it happens. We hardly know each other. But we would if we were together for a whole month. I have a small nest egg I've saved for a rainy day, and this is a rainy day, isn't it? Do you have the words of the advert at all? Um, I, all I've got is to those who appreciate Wisteria and Sunshine. I have not got the rest of it. But, I, was, yes. I was meaning to screen grab it, and then I didn't get around to it. Yes. I couldn't because I was doing it on the telly. And... <laughs> but, I mean, I know it so well in my head that like, mm. I, if I think of Enchanted April, I think to those who appreciate Wisteria and Sunshine. Mm. So yes, but well, this is a London of hats and misery and rain, isn't it? I mean, this is uh, ladies is. in hats and and, and 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 to make the misery worse, there's lots of close-ups of um, Alfred Molina's mouth as he eats. Well, they have, they so. both seem to be in very very sad relationships, sad yes. marriages. Yeah, they uh, do, and they're both very lonely women. Um, the the oppressiveness of that whole setup is 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 fascinating because again, this was, to be fair, women's lot. Yeah. that sort of era I mean we're still I think we're still we haven't quite got the vote yet have they in in, in, um, in 1922 well 1922 when the book was written so it, yeah it's it's still very much you know you did and and, and to be fair Alfred uh, Alfred Molina what's yeah. his name again Melush Melush Wilkins yeah 
is a very he's almost a control freak it's all this there's a wonderful scene where he's eating dinner and he sort of set and because she always makes his favorites when she's trying to get round him I'm yeah, yeah yeah but but uh he's, he's trying to decide what would be the best time to arrive at a party what would be too late and what would be too what would what would make them look too eager what would make them look too and all that kind of thing and it's very you know we must arrive at exactly 22 rather than yes. half past or quarter 840 two. yes yes but this is all to do with his well I suppose you would say social climbing, but his business, he needs to meet people for his business. Because uh, he, 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 they're not, they're the middle classes. They're not wealthy. They're not no. poor. They're, they're very much, uh, you know, everything could fall apart within 20 minutes, like most of us are at the moment, unfortunately. But yeah. uh, they're, they're in that sort of middle band of not badly off people. Uh, but, but Lottie has her own private nest egg squirreled away. She does. But I don't think it's a huge nest egg because between them, the sixty pounds it's going to cost to to rent this villa for a month in Italy. Yeah, <laughs> they have to find a way of splitting it four ways, and this is how uh, when when she and Rose decide they want to do this, uh, they then decide they need to advertise for two other ladies, and only two other ladies apply, um, <laughs> who are. Mrs. Fisher and Lady Caroline Dester. Now, if I was running an advert and those were the only two people who actually responded, I'd be thinking I'd done quite well, quite well. Uh, yes. Well, uh, they're both well placed in society, but um, neither are what they quite expect to go on holiday with. And the idea of going on holiday with Mrs. Fisher is a bit like the idea of going on holiday with my paternal grandma, and it's not something mm. that would I would do. Um, it's played by Joan Plowright, uh, Mrs. Fisher who is very fond of name-dropping people from the past, mm. literary figures. Tennyson pulled her pigtails, apparently. Well, she's another uh, um, person living... I mean, she is, uh, for want of a better word, she 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 walks with a stick. <laughs> she has to walk yeah. with a stick, which is quite yes. significant. Yes. But she um, she is basically locked into this very controlled life. The, 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 the dinner has to be served just so people have to be there. You know, the right people. She wants, she wants to read their references to go on holiday with them and she you know proffers her own references and a lot of her uh, sense of place in the world it comes from the fact that she knew some of the great uh, people of literature who were all dead yeah. uh, but uh, they were the they were the greats and so everybody else is somehow in the real world now is slightly disappointing and and so everything is now being controlled by being able to control your life in in the way that the the, again, the relatively wealthy widow could do in those days in these circumstances. Yeah. And then we have um, Lady Caroline Dester, played mm. by Polly Walker, who's currently one of the leads in Bridgerton, as very much as a fading sort of um, oh, right. former, yeah. formerly beautiful woman. Not a sure but, um, but she's impossibly right for this role, this um, the Louise Brooks look of the 20s mm. flapper. And she but, just is desperate to get away, so she's not the... So she doesn't have to talk about anyone that um that she knows you realize it, it will be very quiet at san salvatore nothing no one just the waves it sounds like heaven i'll be in italy which i love and not in a hotel which i loathe best of all i won't be staying with friends i'll be with strangers wonderful why is that so wonderful well, you won't be able to mention a single person I know. You don't know anyone I know, do you? No, I, I don't think so. Nor do I. 
Good. It's so boring otherwise. It's no holiday to talk about the same old things, same old people. I want to just sit and not talk and not think and not be the center of everything all the time. You know what that's like. No, I don't. Neither do I. But she is living what a lot of people would be desperate the sort of lifestyle that a lot of people would be desperate to have. She is, she yeah. is, she, she is the wealthy uh, debutante or whatever. Uh, and all these parties and all and all these men and all the you know all this this these champagne and and dancing and and staying up all night and presumably the cocaine and all that kind of thing. She, yeah. she and and being all these men around her like bees around a honey pot and. Um, one of the men, of course, is the, the husband of Rose Arbuthnot, but that is not particularly clear at mm. the beginning. But he, they're they're at his book launch, aren't they? They're at his book yeah. Launch, so that's just another one of this endless round of parties, and she just wants to get away from all that and not be bothered by all these idiots, all these idiot men who are constantly sniffing at her, basically. Yeah. So so Rose and Lottie offer this completely unexpected lifeline. They're not the sort of people she'd spend time with. She mm. has never met them before. And it's it's the simply the fact that they don't know anyone that she knows. So mm. she can just sit there and not be the centre of everything and not talk about everything and mm. just not have to no one makes demands on her, which is just mm. Yeah, it's just it's really fascinating because mm. Yeah, I've, I haven't spent a lot of time sitting there thinking about the plight of beautiful people who are well-connected, to be honest. And yeah. you kind of, you don't feel a massive amount of sympathy. But mm. until you arrive in Italy and you're there, and we have this, this technique that um, is used by Mike Newell, which is that people have their own internal monologues, which you can hear. Mm. And it's one point where she looks radiant, she's lying back in the sun with a parasol, and she's actually inside, she's actually only just keeping it together. Mm. And she's on the edge and she's like, please, can I just hold it together? I just need to, I need time to, you know, reboot, reboot essentially. And it's just a really nice, a really beautiful character study, as are they all. That they're, mm. they're all quite unexpected at how they feel inside. I must admit I wasn't mad keen on the internal monologue aspect of it. Um, I understand why it was done, but it, it does have that sort of show not tell aspect going on there. Uh, yes, I know what you mean. It, you could argue that it's lazy. The one time when I really love it, other than the one I've just said, is mm. when um, when Joan Plowright's character mm. becomes all sort of childlike, and she she's mm. trying to stop herself from from getting a paint set out and stop herself mm. from playing with a boat on the river, and she's just mm. kind of like, she just oh, it's so gorgeous. It's one of my favourite scenes in the entire thing mm. where she's just like, why am I feeling so girlish and childlike? It's mm. silly. It's silly. I must stop it. And I just mm. think that beautifully conveyed is beautifully conveyed through monologue other times i think yes it's unnecessary and maybe some looks give you all of that mm. and you don't need it mm. why am i so restless i haven't felt this restless since i was a child it's too absurd for someone my age look at me i can't keep still I feel something is going to happen. But I won't let it. I won't let it. I mean, when I watch a, a lot of, um, for example, a lot of, lot of cinema I watch these days, I always feel they could lose 20 minutes. They could quite easily lose 20 minutes of this film 
and it, you know, tighter editing. But actually, this is one of the few times I've actually sat and watched something the second time through and thought, yeah, yeah th this could have used another 20 minutes just to expand it a little bit more. Right. Yeah, it's one, one of the words that I wrote down because, because Marisa said it, so I always like to credit where it's due. She said, it's so economical. Mm. It doesn't it <laughs> it doesn't last as long as it it could, mm. and I think that's because it's qu got quite a deliberately simple message, which which is very much the mark of Elizabeth von Arnhem's novels. Yeah, I, I just feel that for one, the the London sequences are about the right length, but I just feel you need to get that breath of fresh air in of Italy, and 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 I just felt a little bit more of that would have helped really i you mean basically you get to the point in the plot where all the characters are hooking up or together or you know bonding or whatever and then then jump cut to them leaving so i just feel that you know just another i mean I, i'm not a fan of the montage generally but just something to expand that sense of majesty and awe and wonder might, yeah. might have helped i don't know yeah no i get i get what you're saying yeah they do suddenly leave suddenly it's all over mm. yeah um, well, i know we're leaping to the end there but um because we haven't actually introduced michael kitchen the as george briggs who they visit in london so he's the guy who owns san salvatore the castle mm. in portofino and he's kind of like this bohemian chap who likes his books and is he's got this terrible eyesight <laughs> Yeah, and terrible eyesight, which, I mean, you could argue it's a plot contrivance later, but mm. it's actually what ultimately makes him perfect for um, Lady Caroline, who is mm. sick of people grabbing him. It's so, I love that scene where she's like, oh, he's another one of these, grab, grab, grab. Mm. Ultimately, it's Lady Caroline who grabs him. That's she grabs right. him when she almost falls, he almost falls, and it's just like, oh, he doesn't see her beauty, he just likes the sound of her, and it's just, oh, it's just such a perfect thing that I love. That that's why they're together in the end. Does it give you any pain? Oh no no no! Uh, uh, absolutely not. Nothing to it at all. But it uh, it does run. I mean, I never get a a good look at people. You know, I, I, they always run rather hazy somehow. You know, and I, I tend to uh, judge people by their voices. You know, the inside person. And um, well, it did rather seem to me that Mrs. Arbuthnot was wonderful uh, inside. Wonderful inside. Yes. That's important. Yes. Oh, well, well, the devil. It's too beautiful a night to be miserable. So I do miss the stars. No. Oh, sorry. I had to grab you. And he is initially fascinated by Rose. He can see her well enough to see that she looks like the Madonna, though the disappointed Madonna in um, in the castle, and he's like, "Oh, I, I can, I see. You'll see yourself there. Mm. There's so much there that's kind of like this magical sense of mm. they're meant to be there. It was always destined, almost. And when she gets there, yes, there's this Madonna that looks very much like Miranda Richardson's character. And it actually says a lot, doesn't it, that her character, he thinks she's a widow. He thinks she's a war widow. Yeah. Because well, this is a this is a running thing in the in the plot, isn't it? That <laughs> they keep thinking Lottie or Rose are war widows. Yeah. Well, because you know she never mentions her husband really. Yeah. In, in those terms, and of course, Jim Broadbent is playing her husband in this. So the, the author 
uh, Mr. Arbuthnot, <laughs> yes. Frederick. Um, but I, I don't know. It's interesting because, because again, you get this this moment in London, and and of course he, he is supposed to be smitten with her, and and everything again is is set up for this farcical, the the, the roots of farce, if you like, what, what you would say, uh, because he is actually he is he is he is very besotted with Rose, who seems utterly oblivious to the fact because she has a husband. Hmm. Uh, although I don't know, because you start to think actually she's looking for a bit of a holiday fling, really. Yes, yeah. uh, you do. She does actually once she sort of uh, opens up in in the Italian sunshine, as it were. She um, she suddenly starts to think about the possibilities of you know, old Frederick's a bit of a one. Why don't I have a bit of a fling with this this short sighted yeah. oboist? Yes, and so they're yeah. very sweet together, and then suddenly Freddie turns up to, and that is a, that. And that is a contrivance. It's because he's learnt that Lady Caroline's there, mm. and he has no idea that his wife is there. But mm. suddenly, somehow, because of the magic mm. and the enchantment of that place, um, however real or not, they they are thrown together. And and it's exactly Rose thinks that he's come because he's got a letter. He hasn't actually had time to receive it, and it's just everything just falls into place, and they mm. kind of fall in love all over again, which mm. is unlikely but beautiful. And and incredibly speedy. I, I do love the bit where they go to dinner, uh, and yes. Lady Caroline's due. But and the tension of that is kind of like palpable. You know that. Yeah. Oh, hold on, his two words are about the worlds are about to collide, and we're going to have this this extended yes. style face off. Yes, and, exactly. And you're and, dreading and, and it because you think. And she walks into the room and he, and he goes, "I'm Freddie Arbuthnot. Freddie Arbuthnot. Freddie Arbuthnot, the husband of this lady." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's glorious, isn't it? And you do kind of feel that only Jim Broadbent could have actually carried that off, quite frankly. I kept telling Rose you'd come, didn't I, Rose? You did. I didn't believe it, but here you are. You're right, Lottie, it's this place. It's a tub of love. (laughs) (laughs) It is. What? A tub of love. Ah, this is Caroline. I'm Frederick Arbuthnot. Frederick Arbuthnot. My name's Frederick Arbuthnot. I'm Rose's husband. I've just come down to see her. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. How nice. And I'm late on your very first evening. Do forgive me. I mean, he's quite a creation, I think, by Jim Broadbent. He always brings something mm. that's so believable. And it's it's the parping in this part. It's the fact mm. that he, when he's not got words to say, it's just about his mood. He goes... Um, and it's really annoying initially when you're when the when the director and the production is making you want to hate him it's kind of like oh he's just a flipping idiot oh it's so annoying Mm. i can understand rose's position but later on it's kind of almost sweet it just shows this sort of like childish joy at life it's Mm. it's odd how it changes we do also um in in the (laughs) in the transition uh from london to italy we do get a bit of a travel montage Yes. And they they arrive in Italy in one, in the middle of one of those Mediterranean storms, which makes you just think that this is, um, <laughs> this is kind of, oh, it's going to be you know London's the same as it's going to be just wet and miserable, right? Yeah. But what that actually weirdly what that made me think of was one foot in the Algarve, 
All oh, right, okay. And it made me feel that the same beats, you know, when when you go on holiday and everything starts to go wrong, and then they arrive yeah. at the station and someone runs off with their cases. Yeah. And and but these are the actual people who are transporting them. But oh, there's misunderstandings, and oh, nobody speaks the language, and and they're being dragged, and then they're taken to this place that looks desolate and grim and miserable in the middle of nowhere, and and that all is the same, exactly the same kind of rhythm as you get in one foot in the Algarve to a certain extent, except obviously the one in the uh, one foot in the old garbage is grim and miserable as well and then that that's when you get that transition like you say when they wake up the next morning open the curtains open the blinds yeah and suddenly you know the slightly murky but i'm told glamorous wonderful vistas of italy are are visible to you I think it's um that elizabeth von arnhem and indeed this adaptation delights in wrong footing the viewer and and thinking, oh, you're going to get this, but in fact, you never do, and that is a really unusual thing when you're watching a uh, watching a TV program. Usually, it, it, not everything's predictable, but more often than not, it's predictable what the action's going to be. And I think that's why I love this so much is that it's it's unexpected, but unexpected in all the right ways. And once you've arrived in Italy, and you said this glorious morning has presented itself, uh, obviously the the, the two. The two ladies, the two women, um, Lottie and Rose, uh, they share a kiss in the garden, which is because the first thing she wanted to happen when she got there was was a kiss, yeah, for there to be a kiss. And they're actually, uh, you know, sort of finding this place rather wonderful. And then they go for breakfast, and and the holiday guest from hell, <laughs> yes, Mrs. Fisher is there. Um, Mrs. Fisher is in residence in the breakfast room. And I love that Josie Lawrence's character just can't help but say cuckoos. She suddenly's like you know, she thinks she can't. She sees Lady Caroline and Mrs. Fisher as cuckoos in the nest, and she wished they weren't there, and they're going to spoil everything. But she very quickly accepts them and realizes no, they're part of the story, and they will change. And it's mm. yeah. Rose tries to take the lead over Mrs. Fisher, and it's like this argument about when lunch will be, and so oh, lunch will be at twelve thirty, and she's like, well. Well, I'll tell the cook. No, it's already happened, and it's just all out of her hands. But Rose is so used to having to manage everything and be in charge. But Lottie encourages her to no, just to go with it. I think here you just have to be and and not do. And I think that's a really good message for us in life, particularly at this point in 2022, that sometimes we just have to be and let things happen and not try to solve things because because sometimes we just need to give ourselves a break. I think there's very interesting this this idea because again it seems to have passed into history now but this this idea of englishness and politeness where nobody wants to offend anybody where actually all this offensive that you know this like you say this cuckoo in the nest is actually acting in a, in a way that's kind of your immediate think well that's that's the holiday ruined because of this awful yeah. this awful mrs fisher and and yet, again, she's. I mean, this again going on about her stick, and I can't go in there and stick and and all this stuff about the number of beds in rooms and all that stuff that comes through in that that moment, and and yet weirdly enough, <laughs> there's a there's a bit of a she has this bit of a flirty flirty elderly gentleman, <laughs> and you start to there's a little bit of Lady Chatterley creeping in. <laughs> we won't. Go. No, we can't have sex. This is an enchanted April. It's rude. No sex here. Well, there is obviously when Melish arrives, I'm sure. So, um, Melish is invited. He arrives, 
and he is transformed because you're 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 informed not to like Melish because you've seen lots of shots of him eating and picking stuff out of his teeth originally, mm-hmm. and suddenly he's this figure who is kind of romantic and handsome and and it's before Alfred Molina was bigger. <laughs> he can wear a towel around himself and not look too terrible. But um it's initially again you think disaster's around the corner because he's going he's going on about Lady Caroline and how Lottie's been useful to him and the the improving his business prospects. But no, Lottie realizes no he'll change. This place will change him like it changes everything else. I've made up my mind. I've decided to pay your expenses for this holiday as well as my own. Your nest egg will not be touched. Oh, Melash. How nice of you. Okay, careful, careful. No, I realize how valuable you are to me. In my profession, a man is always helped by having a, a clever and attractive wife. Lady Caroline thinks you're attractive. So do I. Well, I think, actually, there's a, there's a sweetness about his character that, that tends to get slightly overlooked, even though he, I think he's just very, very protective to a certain extent. But, I mean, yeah. it, it does actually turn out I mean when they booked the holiday that he was sort of suggesting that she sh- they they should go on holiday to Italy anyway uh you know and well she, yeah he she, that was a quint he he already had book, pl- was planning yeah, it. he yeah. had no idea yeah yeah and it was kind of coincidental and it was but it was like he was sort of saying yes I think you you should have a holiday and uh, and I, you know, and I'm going to take you. And she's sort of going, well, no, actually, I'll book my own. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so he is actually in some ways quite sweet, but their home life is just cut, totally controlled and totally, uh, if you like, sort of closed in by London. And I suppose there is this, this whole thing, isn't there, that, you know, this, this idea of liberation and holidays and, 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 and people have to go away to broaden the mind and all this kind of thing. And we are all living our day-to-day miserable lives and it sometimes takes that perspective to open us up so there's a lot of that stuff going on there's also a great uh, amount of farce when he does finally arrive because we get the whole bath scene and he's the the typical englishman abroad thing which again you get from denim elliott in the uh, indiana jones films to a certain extent but there's this uh, this sort of he's fish out of water total fish out of water and he's you know and 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 there's all the shouting about the exploding bathroom Yes. I also wanted to mention that in terms of Melerch and, and Lottie and that Italian holiday, he sees her very much as his chattel for that and it's all on, on his terms and she he's gonna look at, she's gonna look after the luggage. Whereas he even says, But this is actually, you know, it's all on her terms and, and he has to fit in with her and the place and, and that's that's a very different spin. I must mention as well that, you know, another moment with Joan Plowright where she gets all the best scenes and but it's, this is one she shares with Alfred Molina when she says, I don't approve of men smoking indoors. And he said, I thought you wouldn't. <laughs> and I, I just love that. So there are times in this where it feels like 
This is a feature film and will include some scenes that make it more of a film mm. where they're more sort of directorial. And the one that really springs to mind is when when Rose is lying down and the lizard crawls up her dress and onto her hair and she doesn't flinch mm. and she just accepts it because she's a one with nature. And it's very much a, a filmic scene. Mm. And I think it could have had more of those if it chose to, but I don't know how indulgent that would have been. But it certainly kind of felt out of keeping in a way with the rest of it and it's like do we want this to be an art house film or do we actually want mm. it to to be more of a an intimate character-led story and it, it's just i felt there was a slight tension there but um it was beautiful well i think the scene with the lizard if, if hitch if hitchcock had made it it would have been like a, a week's filming and 40 different setups for the lizard scene and he would have close-ups on feet and close-ups it would have made it into a cinematic moment if you yes like. and and i think sometimes the ma matter of factness of these things because of again budgets and everything like that you don't have to be quite that broad if you like yeah so sometimes what makes things cinematic isn't necessarily what people who go to the cinema thinks makes things cinematic if yeah if that's not too weird no i know what you mean an yeah. observation yeah well that's the yeah. other thing isn't it is the, it's the television movie budget as opposed to the cinema movie budget as opposed to a television program as opposed to a cinematic eight-part television series you know because yeah. quite a lot of modern um television drama people say it looks more cinematic but of course it doesn't really it just looks like television drama looks like now yeah if you see what i mean yeah yeah it's, it's uh, and it's been mimicking cinema but obviously uh, until lots of things came into place it was not possible to afford but because now everyone's using the same digital cameras it's actually a lot easier to make things look more cinematic on the small screen yeah yeah Something else that I noticed in terms of like a, a technique, which is I think it's only used twice. Correct me if you saw another, was um, fourth wall. There was two moments where the characters fourth walled. Um, one was Miranda Richardson's Rose decides that she's she's written the letter, but she she turns to the camera and says, "No, I won't post it." The letter mm. to um, to her husband, and she gives it to the the one of the staff to post. But it's it's so such it's quite jolting that she suddenly turns to the camera and it's like that decision is very deliberate. And then later on, when Lady Caroline is is happy and being talked about by Lottie as as the Carolines or the the Briggses, I see them that way. Um, and she's walking along with Mister Briggs, and she just turns to the camera to to show how deliriously happy she suddenly is. And that's another fourth wall moment. And it's it's a very definite decision. And I'm surprised that you know you get two instances of it, and it's not something that's that's used as a technique throughout yeah we haven't mentioned lady caroline's headache have we and the castor oil and that sequence again um where she basically still wants to be left alone and so quite quite a lot of the introduction to her character is to be left alone but but her uh sort of saying oh, have you got any aspirin or something you know because i've got a bit of a headache really to, to get out of actually attending lunch uh, response with yeah. we get the spaghetti eating scene which is slightly hilarious uh, but then we get um, <laughs> we, we get Mrs Fisher saying that the, the solution to everything is castor oil and this is what draws her outside to go and have this confrontation if you like 
uh, one of two confrontations she has with Lady Caroline because she, there's the one over money later in the in the program where, where of course Alfred Molina comes to the rescue and suddenly all all the problems go away. I think there's also an interesting aspect of um, Josie Lawrence's character, Lottie Wilkins. She's she is a little bit psychic, isn't she? That's the implication: is that she she mm. has some sort of gift, or the place lends her a gift of or of, empathy. Yes, she has a lot of empathy. I think it's. I think there's. Like. Yeah, I think that's the line is between empathy and being psychic. Because she's I don't, intuitive. Because yeah. she when when this th- scene with the headache happens, it's basically she says she hasn't really got a headache. Mm-hmm. She hasn't really got a headache. She just wants to be left alone. It's this ability. You know. It's this ability she calls to see inside people. Is I think Rose calls mm. it that, and it's it's just deep deep-seated empathy and understanding that people who listen and watch and are silent, um, which ironically is one of my training techniques when interviewing people, um, that will give you the gift to understand what's really going on and we don't embrace it enough. But Lottie's kind of embracing that ability to to see inside people by actually just letting them be and just watching them. Yeah. I do love that you were talking about the... Um, about mrs fisher coming out to see her and i love that moment where where she's kind of frustrated that um she's had to come out to see lady caroline to talk deal with a headache and and lady caroline just turns to her and says yes but don't you prefer coming out and finding me well than coming out and finding me ill and joan plowright's character goes hmm she's kind of annoyed but she thinks about it and realized that yes actually she does but she's kind of she went out, she put all that effort to go out, but it, it's interesting that this. Is, I think she needed to problem solve this because she's just used to solving problems. But the reality is, can't you just be happier with things being okay? And it's just, I think that's a lovely little moment. Yeah. Well, there, there's a, I mean, again, there's a territorial aspect to her character. Yeah. Of, of, oh, I mean, when she claims one of the sitting rooms and it's my room. Yes. And, 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 and they invade her, her, her room and start using her... her her writing space, which then obviously gets flipped around when she actually says, "Sometime you'll want us to come in. You'll yeah. ask us to come in." Yeah. And and again, that um, I feel that the longer running time might have just um, meant you might have a few more moments like that where the turnaround happens. Yes. Yeah. No. I because, I see what you mean. Late uh, Joan Plowright's character does seem to turn about very quickly yeah does the you feel that slightly longer script would have just made that a more subtle transition yeah which may, may or may not be necessary but i just feel that it it it, it feels quite abrupt at times the the transformations it's sort of i think it's almost like it kind of happens off screen um i mean there's a lot of stuff about i mean she's very selfish at one point before uh, alfred molina's character turns up because she wants to reserve the spare room for her friend i've got a friend i've got a friend yes kate lumley yeah. <laughs> the, ve- the, the very lumley. wide the very kate, lumley. Wide yes. kate lumley yes <laughs> um who, who who never appears and is never actually asked as far as we can no fathom because she's uh, she's conjured up she never intends to invite her it's just so no. she can retain that room control because because people are inviting other people to come and and, and all this kind of thing, uh, and uh, her transformation sort of feels. I mean, I may, again, may have, I'm, I'm mistiming this in in the way it is in in my head, but uh, you get this sort of languid day at the beach with uh, Alfred Marina and Josie Lawrence in in their bathing costumes, which again you feel in a modern film 
would be would should we say there'd be more flesh on display? Right. Yeah. But uh, there were you know there would be people leaping into pools and, and flushing their their buttocks at the well. It it, it just, think, thinking of yeah. that it's very like Room with a View the feel of that bit and except for the fact mm. that they're naked in Room with a View but it, mm. it's kind of its closest neighbour in terms of mm. feel and that's obviously Ian Forster who I also. You know, I see a parity between Ian Forster and Elizabeth mm. von Arnhem very much. Um, but yes, that could have been something that was more of a set piece, um, more of a, mm. a movie moment, if you will. Yeah. But by the time the plot starts to cascade towards its end, about an hour, I mean, it, I mean, the the version I've got is an hour and it's it's ninety minutes. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, and the uh, at a, at about an hour and twelve minutes, Jim Broadbent arrives. And wheezes his way up the, the long steps. Uh, uh, <laughs> to arrive. Uh, and um yeah, it it's it, and you just feel, well, this is it now. It's all going this is all gonna get catastrophic now, and of course this doesn't happen. Um we haven't mentioned the story of the stick, but of course the story of the stick comes slightly earlier than that, doesn't it? Well, she she suddenly reveals that she's walked without her stick, so the place is a. No, I meant the the fact that this tree that they're all underneath. Oh, the oleander tree had grown, had grown out of this walking stick that was planted in the ground by George Briggs. Yes. So I grandfather. Yeah. So I don't. That's quite weird because he's an orphan, but he isn't. I, yes. I, find, I, I, I do find that. <laughs> yes, it's a bit slightly. odd. But I suppose you can be adopted and still have relatives who yes. you consider to be your father and grandfather. So don't be some mean to orphans. Please. Um, well, no. no I'm joking. I know what you're saying. Structurally speaking, because he's actually quite well off for a, an Edwardian or uh, sort of turn of the century orphan. Yeah. We're used to, so he obviously got adopted by very, very wealthy people. Okay. Um, and what I wanted to say about the oleander tree and that story of the stick in the tree and all of that is it either feels borrowed or very, very similar to the the enchanted magical feel of a similar story in Howard's End. Um, Vanessa Redgrave's character in Howard's End is telling Emma Thompson about the this tree and how locals had put pig's, pig's teeth into the bark and you can still feel the pig's teeth in the bark and it's a, a sort of a magical thing. And it's it's this kind of sort of like folk memory sort of idea of something magical happened with a tree and it and because i see vanonim and um and ian forster so similar i think well which came first the oleander tree or the pig's teeth in the bark but they, they've got a very similar feel and they have a very similar purpose which is to suggest a magic and will you let yourself go and actually just go with the magic and just believe that or do you think it's it's nonsense uh, yes you see this uh, oleander just here well my father um, many years ago, stuck his cherrywood walking stick into um, that spot and said to the head gardener, this is where we'll have an oleander. And he left it there as a reminder. And uh, after a while, uh, and quite how long nobody can be sure, it, the stick began to sprout. And it was an oleander. Is that true? It doesn't matter. It's such a pretty story. Yes, it is. <laughs> the writers of any era, uh, certainly in the 20s and 30s, they seem to form groups. Do you know what I'm saying? That, you know, they've got the Bloomsbury set and yeah. all this kind of thing. Yeah. There seems to be almost like a competition between them. 
sometimes. And I do think that what what maybe within that um, peer group, if you like, was considered to be good or bad writing, sometimes the same sort of ideas crop up yeah. in different novels by different writers. It's interesting if you uh, watch or read a lot of golden age crime fiction from the same sort of era yeah. is that, that you know Agatha Christie and Naomi Marsh and all that lot were sort of gathering together and, and writing crime books and sort of setting each other off but you could almost see that they were nicking each idea the ideas off each other mm-hmm. and so if if you watch any Naomi Marsh you actually start to think hold on this is not unlike yeah. that Christie yeah. story <clears throat> and of course a lot of Christie stories take elements that you re- recognise from Sherlock Holmes. So there's, there is a kind of connectedness to all these things. So sometimes that idea of, oh, yeah, that's a nice idea to, to weave through a plot, sort of, it's not, they weren't nicking off each other, but they were inspiring each other. Oh, I could use that or I could steal that. So it might just be that kind of question. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether... You know, they were acquainted at all, but, no. but certainly they would read other people's yeah. stories. So it might be just a bit of that, which, of course, still goes on. People, you know, yeah. you know, people see a television show and they think, well, yeah, I could write a story about, you know, it still happens. It still happens. Mm-hmm. I think perhaps as we, as we approach the end, I think the the main message, the main point is given to Joan Plowright's character and. Honestly, no wonder she got nominated and awards and stuff because she she actually gets some of the best stuff. But it's it's in a monologue where she's talking about her dead author friends and they don't feel worth it tonight. Um, they said good things, but they were always the same. And the most important thing is that they're all dead, and and she wants the living, and she just says that I want the living, and it's it's absolutely about choosing life. If you want to use that sort of like choose life, um, Monica, um, rather than choosing um a paucity of existence dependent on your expectations your preconceptions this is actually no about just grabbing life which relates back to the grab 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 that caroline sees as a negative thing but then becomes a positive thing when she grabs briggs so it's this idea that you you have to grab onto life and you have to live it and don't live in the past and live in the now and i think i i just like that because i struggled to do that a lot of the time so yeah All my dead friends don't seem worth reading tonight. They always say the same things. Good things, but always the same. They were, they are, great. But they have one terrible disadvantage. They're all dead. I'm tired of the dead. I want the living. There's certainly an interesting aspect of the relationship between uh, George and Caroline and Rose, you know, the sort of triangle that sort of sets itself up there. Because uh, one of my favourite scenes, actually, uh, is the, the scene where George comes across Rose and Frederick, well, snogging, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... and and there's that whole thing where he he sort of, because it that had been set up for them to have a bit of a date. Yeah, you know, you know George and Rose, yeah. and then suddenly he comes across them, and 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 this 
and, and that whole scene about when oh, oh but I thought you were a widow and yeah. and the disappointment that that is a beautifully played scene that yeah. is, actually really comes across incredibly well his his disappointment you know but also earlier on where Caroline who is used to being shall we say the center of attention the most beautiful woman in the world when she starts to appreciate the beauty of the other women and she suddenly and she actually sits there going I may not be the most beautiful person on this holiday and again there's a sense of that uh growing sense that a lot of people you know get that that looks aren't forever and yeah and and for Caroline a lot of her appeal to all these young gentlemen uh may be fading to a certain extent in i mean not not immediately but, uh, but ultimately one day that yes. will pass she she will become someone more like mrs fisher perhaps you know the, she will become equally closed off and and she already sees the fact that these other people's happiness is closed off to her but then of course then she uh, pounces on george who's obviously you know, very appealing young gentleman. He's a fifty percent of the women who come to his <laughs> come to his uh, villa uh, uh, wish wish to wish to involve themselves with him. So um, I know, fair enough. He, he plays a nice flute, you know. He's obviously got a very a very uh, charming personality. I, I think it's and very thoughtful. I think it's interesting that Caroline claims that she doesn't like all the attention, but as soon as soon as Frederick's taken away from her because his wife's actually there, she actually, you know, she gets towards grabbing Briggs. But it's just interesting how quickly that flips. And is she being entirely true to herself? Actually, she likes the attention some of the time. She just got to a, a point where she'd had a fill of it. And I think that's interesting that it was like the honesty of that was was shown that actually no she needs someone to find her attractive. But yeah, it that was that was a really good point that made her a bit of a more well rounded character. And we had that that also fact that um her she talks about very briefly that guy who died, Jack. She says in monologue, perhaps if Jack hadn't been killed, and that's the only time we hear about a previous relationship. Um, that's right. Yeah. And and again some but again that's not unusual in the sense that sometimes people have a loss like that and they and go a bit off the rails yeah. you know and so again i imagine uh, this was being written from experience to a certain extent i mean do you actually know the book um yes and I, I think it was fairly faithful but it's it's so long ago that i read right. it i, I read it uh, 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 i read it about 20 by what, peter Barnes. i read it about 25 years ago so i couldn't honestly yeah. tell you because i've seen this so many more times than i've read it the the other thing that I wanted to um, mention is about how there's the theme of of investing in true friendships, and it's not just about romantic love or sexual love. In fact, it's very little sexual love in there. Um, is that the fact that Caroline wants to be friends forever with Lottie? Yes, uh, the friends forever line. I've I've got highlighted. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because because you kind of think under normal circumstances these people would never have yes met, would they they would literally yeah. never have met and 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 Josie is a little bit eccentric and a little bit yes i would say mousy almost if if that word is accepted yeah. in those terms yeah in, uh, and it would and yet suddenly they by spending this time together they you they do again it's one of those things about people in life isn't it you you know instead of just going oh bloody hell can't stand them actually if you spend time with people yeah you find out a bit more about them and find you can tolerate yeah. or 
or can't stand them, depending on on your situation, yeah. I suppose. I mean, her, her friendship, the, her friendship with Mrs. Fisher as well is like that's real close friendship by the end, and they, mm-hmm. you know, she kisses her on the cheek, and she's really several times, and she's shocked by that friendship, and it's there's very much a definite feel of um of a relationship that's more what's the word oh god platonic yes there's 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 definite platonic relationships that flourish here it's not just romantic love um it is actually platonic love that flourishes within the walls of san salvatore (laughs) yes how do we feel a little bit about the portrayal of the quotes funny foreigners do they do they does that is that bothersome in in this as a, as a piece? Do you think it? It's perhaps it's perhaps my it's perhaps my least it's perhaps my least favorite part of it because I mean it, possibly it is racist, but it's meant to show how how separate an existence they have. Well, yes, I think that is actually part of it. Yeah. It's, it's actually again, it's that it's that Brits abroad thing of not knowing yeah. the language, not engaging yeah. with it. I mean. Uh, Mrs. Fisher knows sort of classical Italian. <laughs> yes, and there's no words for castor oil in classical Italian, which I love that. <laughs> yeah. What's that story that someone used to tell about the... Um, they were asking what time the next trireme... And they're in Greece because they were using classical... Ah, <laughs> right, brilliant. Yeah, next trireme, yeah. And, and they were translating for people and they were... And they were, and they were yeah, so there's quite... There is that... There was people who knew the classical languages yeah. and the people who knew the modern languages and, and never the twain, as it were. Well, it's like my... It's like my New Testament Greek. I learnt New Testament Greek at university, which is un, 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 not very useful. <laughs> anyway, yes, carry on. But you can speak it fluently. Oh, yes. But but, um, but no. But I just think that I suspect actually keeping the uh, Italian characters who are all basically servants, gardeners, and maintenance, you know, and housekeepers at a distance is actually probably more true to the subject matter. And in fact, making them feel uh, unfathomable because they, you know, they never speak English. They don't, you know, they, it's all uh, slightly detached. Yeah. And, and I feel that is actually part of part of that sense of keeping the, the two worlds apart. You know, they, they, they're not. They don't. Funnily enough, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? That we we go on holiday, but we don't necessarily integrate particularly with the local. Things. But of course, they would. I suppose the culture of that time is there would have been servants, and there would have been the people who were served. And and, and it's also they didn't mingle. I think the film doesn't want us to think too much about class and and the divide, but it is absolutely there. And they are even you know like Rose and Lottie, they 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 have privilege, even though they're unhappy. And Lady Caroline and Mrs. Fisher definitely have privilege and connections and money and can do whatever they like. But it's it's interesting how you know they're very it's a very privileged microcosm of this holiday. I actually looked up to see if you could stay at it's Castello Brown, um, which is where it was filmed in Portofino, and in the interiors are actually the same. So it's all filmed on location there. And um, no, it's it's a house museum that you can visit. But looking just at properties in Portofino and very expensive, still very privileged people who can go and, and stay there. Mm. And it's like those people who buy an island, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like, it's, yeah. It's, they tend to run the government rather than... It, it's not It's not accessible to the <laughs> likes of us, darling. <laughs> yeah. well, this is, again, I mean, but it also I, I think that, that that sort of fish out of water thing uh, helped. You know, it feeds. I mean, the the, the plot 
you know, all the characters are a little bit out of their depth in that sense, apart, strangely enough, from Josie Lawrence, who feels like she, it's like a jigsaw piece for her, isn't it? She's yeah. Popped straight into place, and feel, and it feels perfect. And of course, you know that whole notion that uh, this, you know, you, you see an advert in the paper, and in your mind it's going to be perfect, and the reality is so it's so far removed from human experience, isn't it? Let's be honest. Usually, yes. Most times we are disappointed yeah. in life. So the fact that Josie isn't disappointed and and things actually do work out is actually quite novel. Yes, really. it is. And again, it's in, that in it's, it's it's enchanted April wrong, wrong footing us because it's not our experience of life and it's not our experience of film and television. Yeah. I was trying to work out whether uh, this how concurrent this was with uh, that adaptation of um, A Year in Provence. That Ooh, was on. I think that was a bit earlier. That was 89, I think. I was just wondering if, if this whole, you know, Brits in a foreign situation was a bit of, was it, you know, kind of in the zeitgeist at the time and whether that was part of the reason. It I think it's, it I think it's more that it's about, it, it was piggybacking on the Merchant Ivory sort of films, mm. which were so popular yeah. then. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I want to ask you about how you feel about the stick in the ground at the end, the walking stick that's abandoned by Mrs. Fisher. That's the kind of uh, slight realms of fantasy. Mm. But I mean, I mean, it's a very good metaphor. I think that's that's the interesting thing about it. I mean, uh, by this stage, um, Mrs. Fisher has discarded her stick and doesn't need it anymore. She's been using it literally as a crutch for all these years and 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 a stick to beat people with. <laughs> yeah, she whips but, she whips um, it about in with it with comedic yes. glory often. And um, as she's making her way down these horrifically huge number of steps yeah. back to the boat to go home, yeah. presumably. It's uh she no longer needs it. And that of course is a metaphor for all sorts of, of things in life. You know, you cast I mean even again getting back to your your biblical Greek, you know, you casting away your your uh, whatever it is to and walk again or whatever yeah 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 it's uh, so it, I, but it is it is slightly magical i mean i don't know if you can plant a walking stick in the ground and it will turn into a tree i assume that there is uh some sort of documented evidence <laughs> <in this. laughs> i doubt it i don't know but it it, but, it, it uh, it's kind of it's kind of saying this is fantastical but just go with it it's like saying, I think that's another message. It's like if you just go with the fantasy. Well, we finish with that, and that's another story. Yeah. Presumably, we do we get another story? No, no, I don't think so. No, I think that's it's it's so it's done. The, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's it's that thing. Um, I think with Lottie, you get this idea that if you see something, then you can visual. If you can visualize it, then you can make it be. And it's like, it, do you create it? through that positivity or is it just because you've seen it already and you make it happen i don't know because i feel like in my career with what i do i kind of made that happen but i could also see that that was possible and it's that mixture of like oh how much do you make it happen and how much does it happen through luck and connections and i think mainly you make it happen but i don't know this is more on the sort of fantastical oh but there's magic in the universe sort of feel yeah, which you need for drama because drama is escapist at the end of the day. Mm. How do you feel about the actors? Do you feel they're all perfectly cast? Do you feel? Does it feel right? Does anybody feel out of place particularly? I think they're all. 
excellent. Um, it's funny seeing Polly Walker now having a very different villainous role in Rome, particularly. I don't know whether you saw that. She was fantastic in that. Totally evil. Uh, I didn't know Polly Walker at all. Ah! I literally don't know. All and she's I don't think I've seen her in she's one of the funniest things in Bridgerton, which I'm still forcing myself to watch, even though I don't like it. Um, in that she's this like aging, penniless um, aristocrat in that, and she's well, she's clearly in her fifties in that, and she's like more of a painted, you know, a painted older person, and it's just fascinating to compare her with this when she was absolutely in her prime as an actress and as a woman, and um, yeah. I mean, it's really good to see Miranda Richardson as something else other than as, as Queenie, you know. And I think she has real scope here and real presence. But Josie... She did Ruth Ellis, didn't she? Sorry? She did Ruth Ellis, didn't she? Oh, did she? The other thing I always loved her in was After Pilkington, if you ever remember that. Ah, okay. Yeah. But... um. Josie Lawrence, I was reminded all the way through, I was thinking, who is she reminding me of? And her voice and the way she acts is very like Louise Jameson. And often when I was listening to her, I was thinking, I could see Louise Jameson playing this role. And I was thinking, did they, you know, I wonder if she had the opportunity and whether it was ever, ever she was, um, you know, put up for it. But yeah, I could see her playing the part so well. But um, the women kind of have it in the sense that, you know, they have more screen time. But the I think Alfred Molina and and Jim Broadbent and Michael Kitchen all very much work. Was there anyone you didn't feel was as good? No, not at all. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, seeing obviously seeing Michael Kitchen playing sort of oh a bit a bit dithering or a bit you know lacking in confidence to a certain extent is an interesting thing. I mean, I, I, and and but Broadbent and, and Molina are always worth it. The inter- I just think it's it's fascinating to see a a thing where four women are the main leads really i think that's certainly made in 1991 you know or 1990 possibly when it was actually made it's 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 unusual i mean it's it i mean i know at this point will be what five six years after tenko which of course did have women women uh, in the leads but but they are they are rare as end teeth really yeah in that era yeah absolutely yes so good so so you don't mind that i forced you to watch something else no like i say it wouldn't have been something i even knew existed it's not something that and like i say that first run through i thought oh god like i say load of old fluff and (laughs) good but and it's really not my thing at all you know and where's the helicopters no i know i didn't think that but um but uh quite the reverse i'm not but i mean as as i've said to you before we're not big on period drama anyway as as a as a as a choice of viewing uh it's not where i particularly find myself going or uh to you know it's not a a, a, a mode of drama i'm generally drawn to however <clears throat> like i say I, it's one of those things i now sort of feel oh you know I, I could i could recommend it and say you know there's some really lovely moments about how you live your life in this and that i think is a, is a good thing uh there's a lot of stuff and, and people i don't know people who don't you know will find it blinkered and like i say it took me two goes through it to see any sort of charm in it so i think it's uh it's a hard sell unless you happen to be you know someone who's drawn to that stuff anyway 
but I think it's I'd say certainly stick with it I think it's um, it's worth it I, I do slightly it's one of those things I do wish it had, had a slightly bigger budget and was slightly opened out I, I do feel that the short running time doesn't actually do in this case any favor. Yeah, it doesn't need it doesn't need to be three hours. It doesn't need no, to be a mini series. But just twenty just twenty more minutes, a little bit yeah. more breathing space, yeah, yeah. and a little bit more time for the characters yeah. to to develop. Because I feel that it, it, I mean, basically thirty minutes in, you well, I don't think is it about twenty minutes in. You're still in London, and the thing's all over at an hour and a half at so ninety minutes. So it's kind of like a lot of the, the it, it. I feel there's room for that to move and 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 uh, to breathe rather, and that and that sort of feels a bit of a shame because once you actually move into this world, it's it's actually very it is very addictive. Yes, yeah, it's addictive and it's compelling. Actually, you could yeah. take more of this. Yeah. You could take more of this. So my romantic 1920s soul um, adores it. I don't think I would change it. As you say, perhaps you've convinced me that it could have at least another 10, 20 minutes in Portofino. Um, I think that's a good argument. But um, the messages, the, the the feel of it, the the acting, I just think it's all on point and I, I, I adore it and I, I always shall. And I, I almost thought, why haven't I watched this for so long? But then you have to give room to other things that you've not seen. But I, I, I would love some people to find it as a result of this although i know that we always get um fewer listens to the things that are more period so you know there's definitely something about that but um it's not culty in any way perhaps it's culty for a different audience but maybe not our audience yes i mean that's the thing i mean you can't if you, if you limit yourself to just doing stuff that's big and culty you'd end up just doing a doctor who podcast every month and who the hell would do i know who would even do that <laughs> fucking freak i mean you know, the, the <laughs> thing is that television television is a broad spectrum you know? yes and obviously i'm looking forward to the sequel of miserable may yes <laughs> and but then there is the joyful <laughs> there, then there is the joyful june that follows so you know <laughs> yeah and then the anguished august yes uh, and all that. There's, there's a whole there's a whole series of yeah that. Just waiting to happen, but, uh, but not yet. No, no it's uh, a television is is a, a broad church, and uh, uh, luckily it doesn't all consist of broad church. <laughs> Thank God but, for that. But um, yeah. but it, it and 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 you do have to sort of dip into stuff that you wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, pick pick for yourself because yeah. otherwise how would you how would you know? I mean, exactly. I, they, like I say there are performances in this that I, I mean, sure. I as as I've said on numerous occasions i i don't watch a lot of modern drama at all and when i do i'm usually found massively disappointed by it so it's always nice to sort of go back and find something uh, that actually yeah it works and yes i mean it had a cinema release so you know but and so obviously presumably made a few quid but it's um it works as a piece of drama it works as a, as a film it works as a piece of television and and you know you've got seven eight you know, actors giving seven, isn't it? Giving you know, pretty solid and and enjoyable performances. So, and you know, none of them feel like you say out of their depth. Really, it's it's just interesting. I mean, Josie Lawrence again. You associate so much with whose line is it anyway? Yeah, that you forget that actually 
she was an actress yeah and, and she's very good in this Miranda Richardson uh, most people now their leap is like you say Blackadder you know so it, it's it's kind of uh, it, it is kind of difficult sometimes for people when they associate people with comedy or like Alfred Molina maybe with the, the villains he's played in films mm. since or yeah. you know or, or Jim Broadbent and, and the roles he's played to actually sort of see them doing this and uh, for some reason people can be quite cold I, I often think that audiences, viewers sometimes are worse at typecasting than, than necessarily those people who get accused of typecasting people. We are very very conservative in small c conservative in, in what we want our people to do what the, the people we're fans of but sometimes it's interesting to find them doing something else and and doing it very well so in conclusion to those who appreciate wisteria and sunshine i think you will appreciate enchanted april until next time i have been andy and i've been martin you take care bye that last week the whole country seemed to dress itself in white there were white lilies, white stocks, white banksia roses, and the fragrance of the acacias. Even after we'd got to the bottom of the hill and passed through the iron gates and out into the village, we could still smell the acacias. We could smell them even when we reached London. But that's another story. <laughs>